uh, we are in a new series called Bless, um, and it's about five uh, easy everyday practices that will help us to love our neighbor, which is the greatest commandment, and, uh, and allow God to work through us to change the world. And um, you may know that last Sunday um, was a super busy Sunday for me. Uh, if we've been talking throughout the week, I might have mentioned it. It was probably one of the most busiest uh, weekends of my entire career, certainly the busiest one since I've been here, because we had two worship services, and then we immediately had a leadership meeting, and then we were doing some interviews with the staff parish relations team. And so I got to church probably around 8.45 and got home at 5.15. And the only time that I left the campus was to go across the street um, to Taco Bell to grab a bite to eat, uh, to bring back to eat during, uh, during our meeting. And as I went through the drive-through, there was a young man who looked really frazzled, and, um, and, and, and so I just kind of felt a nudge to engage him a little more than I typically would uh, with someone at a drive-through. And I said, I said, I said, hey man, I hope that you're having a good day. And the people behind me were probably really irritated because when I said that, he opened up and began to share what was going on in his life as people were waiting for their food behind me. And, um, and he began to explain how he used to have a really good paying job with benefits, but that he was laid off and that he was having to work multiple jobs in order to support his family. And that's how he ended up at Taco Bell. And I really felt um, compassion for this guy. I could tell he said that it was only him and the manager who were trying to run the whole restaurant. There were people lined up behind me to get food. And I just looked at him and I said, hey man, I just want you to know that I, I'm gonna pray for you, that God bless you, and that God take care of your family. And when I said that, his demeanor began to change. You could see some of the tension melt off of his face. And, and he said to me, I really appreciate that. Um, and you know what? I need to remember that I'm blessed to have this job, to be able to take care of my family, and just to be alive today. And um, so, beginning with prayer, telling this guy, I'm gonna pray for you, it really blessed him. It might have been a small change in his day, but even just for that moment, something shifted in his heart. And sometimes, if we are paying attention, God prompts us or nudges us to do something or to say something that will bless another person. Someone's name might pop into your head and you might think, maybe I should call him or maybe I should pray for her. You might feel led to invite a friend to coffee or feel a nudge to ask a stranger if she needs help. Has something like this ever happened to you? If it has, kind of raise your hand if you felt kind of promptings like that, yeah. Recently, a friend came to mind who was having a hard time and I felt a nudge to text him and I just said, hey, I just wanna let you know that I prayed for you today uh, and if you need a listening ear, give me a call. And shortly after I clicked the send button, he called me on the phone and we talked for a long time and at the end of the conversation, I, he said to me, man, I really needed to hear that stuff I really need to talk about this stuff, and, and I feel better already. Thanks for listening. And then I felt led to pray with this person on the phone, and I did, and he expressed appreciation. Friends, we often forget that God is always already working in the life of the people all around us. 
God's not just working on us. God is working, always already working on the people who are all around us, trying to move them toward more healing, more freedom, more peace, and more joy. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, if we are awake to the presence of God in our everyday lives, then God empowers us to join in what he is already doing in their lives by blessing them. And I think that's pretty incredible, don't you? That God would say, I'm going to allow you to partner with me to make a positive difference in someone's life today. But we must be tuned in to what God is doing, and we must pay attention to God's promptings. And that raises the question, how do we do that? And I would say that the most important way is through prayer. And most of you guys know, you've heard a sermon series or read a book or grew up in the church, you know that prayer is simply an ongoing conversation with God in which we both speak and listen We can talk to God just like we talk to anyone else, and God wants us to spend time pouring our hearts out to him. But we can also listen by meditating on Scripture. God speaks to us as we read the Bible, and that's what we mean when we say that the Bible is the living Word of God, that as we engage it, as we prayerfully read it and ponder it and meditate upon it, God speaks to us. And when we hear God's still small voice nudging, prompting, convicting, or encouraging, we can ponder in our hearts and reflect in our minds what God is trying to get through to us. And while there are many different ways to pray, we teach the ancient practice of Lexio Divina here at our church. And that whole process is outlined on the front page of the document that you received when you came in. And people in the Christian tradition have been kind of praying in this way for a very, very long time. And I personally find it to be the most powerful way uh, to pray. You can also learn more about that in the free booklet that's on the Welcome Center or by going to our website and clicking the Connect Online page. We believe it's so important that we try to give it to people in multiple ways. But the main point here, however you choose to pray, and that is a personal decision, the important thing is that you actually do it, (laughs) that you set aside time to pray because it's the lifeblood of our relationship with God. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I want you to hear that. Prayer, no matter how you choose to do it, is the lifeblood of our relationship with God. It's so important that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, this will be projected on the screen, Paul says to pray without ceasing and to rejoice in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. And, And It's often true that when we read scripture, we read something and we think that maybe it's an exaggeration and so we don't pay it much attention um, and we don't really learn until later on that it's not an exaggeration, that there's a deeper meaning there that we've missed until we grow in our faith to the point of having real understanding. And this idea that we should rejoice in all circumstances strikes most people as really odd, especially when they're going through a difficult time. And that's a whole nother sermon, but I want to tell you that the absolute best thing you can do when you're going through hell in your life is to take time every day to count your blessings and express gratitude. 
And everything from the Christian tradition to other religions to modern psychology tell us that by expressing gratitude, it has a way of shifting what's going on in our life and taking the focus off of our pain so that we can have a little space to breathe. If you know that to be true, say amen. But the part I want to focus on this morning is pray without ceasing. As you know, I try to go to the Monastery of the Holy Spirit every year for spiritual retreat. And the monks there take this call to pray without ceasing very, very seriously. And they use the analogy of breathing. They say that speaking to God is like breathing out, and listening to God is like breathing in. And like breath, which is necessary for physical life, prayer is necessary for spiritual life. And this can be seen in their practice of breath prayers. You guys ever heard of breath prayers? For example, they slowly breathe in as they silently say in their mind, Lord, as they're breathing in, they say that very slowly, silently. And then as they exhale, they say silently, have mercy. Then following the same pattern, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And they'll spend time just trying to synchronize their breath with the words of this prayer so that it becomes so ingrained and so natural that they unconsciously do it even when they're sleeping, empowering them to pray without ceasing. The main idea here is that prayer is to the soul as breathing is to the body. That's how important it is. Prayer is to the soul, what breathing is to the body. And this is what keeps us awake and alert and paying attention to spiritual things. It's what gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus would say. And in the context of this message, the principle is very simple. When you want to love people, when you want to live a life that regularly manifests the blessings of God in a way that is helpful to others, Jesus invites us to begin with prayer, which is precisely what he does. Now that sounds simple, but I want you to think for a minute. I was convicted by this, okay? Because I am a type A problem solver. And so when I'm faced with a decision, when I'm faced with an issue or a problem, my inclination is to jump right in and start using my intelligence and my resourcefulness and my will to be able to fix that problem. And it's often not until that doesn't work very well that I remember, oh gosh, I forgot to pray. <laughs> so I'm not saying, it, it's not hard for many of us to pray throughout the day. We pray over meals, we might pray when we wake up and we go to bed at night. If you're in a routine, that's great. But the principle here is not just to pray, it's to begin with prayer. And this is what Jesus does. He starts his earthly ministry around 30 years old, and it says in Luke 4, chapter 1, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And why did the Spirit drive? And, and the Greek word there, it, it's translated as led him into the wilderness. The Greek word there is more forceful. It's drove him into the wilderness. Why did the Holy Spirit drive Jesus into the wilderness? 
it was to fast and pray. And when he had to make one of the most important decisions of his life regarding who he would choose to be his followers, it says in Luke chapter 6 that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer to God. And so it was only after praying that Jesus felt ready to choose the 12 disciples. Not only to follow him as their rabbi, but to carry his message of salvation to the whole world after he ascended into heaven. And every time Jesus made an important decision regarding what to do, who to call, who to engage, and equally important, who to disengage, how to reach people, how to bless people, he always started with prayer. In fact, Jesus didn't just pray on occasion. He lived a life that was saturated in prayer, awake and responsive to the presence of God. And this is what he wants for us too, because this is how we discover God's will and find the wisdom, courage, and strength to carry it out. So what I'd like to do this morning is just look at all the things that God does in prayer to help us bless others. First, God uses prayer to open our hearts to the leading of his spirit, allowing us to tune in to what he is already doing and helping us to recognize the promptings to join him in blessing others. God opens us up in prayer. And this is our starting point and why we're not just called to pray, but to begin with prayer, because if we're not being led by the Spirit, it is highly likely that we might misstep. Second, as we continue in prayer, God shows us who to bless. He will bring people to mind, and He will give you a desire to pray for them, which reminds us that we got to be praying about someone other than ourselves. Amen? And as you pray for someone, are you awake, church? This is really important. As you pray for someone, you start to see them differently. God changes how you see them. You start to see them not from your own broken perspective, but in prayer, God helps you to see them as God sees them. And this gives you a deeper understanding of their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups, and consequently, it gives you a better understanding of their needs. And this evokes compassion and empowers us to listen to them without judgment, which is next week's topic. And as we see them through God's perspective with the eyes of compassion, God cultivates a desire inside of us to want to bless them. Prior to this experience, maybe you don't want to bless them, but through this experience, as God changes the way that we see them and evokes compassion, there is a desire that is born inside of us that wants to bless them. And as a side note, this is why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies which is as counterintuitive as rejoice in all circumstances. We often get tethered in anger, resentment, and even hatred. 
when it comes to an enemy, all of which compels us to see him or her in a particularly bad light, and it makes compassion difficult, if not impossible. And this creates a kind of slavery that destroys us from the inside out. You hear people say all the time that if you can't forgive, the anger doesn't hurt the other person. They're probably not even thinking of you. The idea that you holding anger is going to hurt another person and that that's your preoccupation, that's, that's overestimating your influence over them. There's a good chance that you got angry with them and they got angry with you and they walked away and didn't give you another thought, but yet you're walking around constantly thinking about them stewing in anger. And, it, and we are the ones that are hurt. There's an old saying that holding on to anger to hurt someone else is like eating rat poison trying to kill rats. It just doesn't work, right? And so if we obey Jesus and we actually pray for our enemies, and I want to ask you if you're doing that this morning, and we pray for our enemies, it can change. God can work a miracle in our hearts, not a magic trick that, all, you know, that we'll just all of a sudden not feel bad anymore, but God will begin to work a miracle in our hearts to help us to gradually see them differently, and when anger gives way to compassion, you will be set free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. It comes through praying for our enemies. So prayer changes how we see people and shows us who we ought to be blessing. Third, as we pray, God shows us how to bless people. After opening us up to the leading of the Holy Spirit, showing us who to bless, empowering us to see them through the eyes of compassion, God directs us in prayer as to what we ought to do. As I mentioned earlier, it could be as easy as sending a text message and saying, I'm praying for you, or as simple as inviting someone to lunch or inviting them to church. The main point is that God directs us regarding not only who we should approach, but when we should approach them, how we should approach them, and the ways that we can engage and bless them. And this is important, because if we just charge in and we do what we want to do, in our attempt to bless someone, we could actually offend them or alienate ourselves from them or push them away, because it's not about us, right? It's about learning what are their hurts and where are their broken places and what do they need, and then selflessly serving them in the name of Jesus. Finally, prayer connects us to the power of God. Somebody say power. Say it again, power. God is powerful. If you have ever truly been in the presence of God, it is hard to stand up. It is hard to not cry, to have tears. It is hard not to be overwhelmed if you've truly been in the presence of God because God is powerful. And although we might have some theological differences with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, this is what they're trying to communicate to us when they talk about being slayed in the Spirit. God is more powerful than you are. And prayer connects us to the power of God, which makes everything that we're talking about possible, which makes it possible to truly bless anyone. We must always remember that blessing someone means being a conduit of God's grace. In other words, 
I'm not the one blessing people. It is God who is blessing them through me. And if we go back to forgiveness, we can say, there are some people it is impossible for us to forgive on our own strength. There are some people that have hurt us so bad, it is impossible for us as human beings to forgive them. But if we are obedient and do the things that Jesus says we can do, God can forgive them through us and in the process set us free. And so it's not about you using your willpower and your resources and how good of a person you are. I can forgive that person because, you know, because they were so bad to me, but I'm pretty good. It's not about you. It's about being a conduit of God's grace and goodness. And without this power, without the power of the Holy Spirit that guides and directs and gives us the courage, strength, hope, and wisdom, everything that we need to bless people, then our efforts will fall flat. I'm not trying to um, minimize random acts of kindness. But I just want to tell you, there are a lot of good people in the world, and there are a lot of people who are doing random acts of kindness. And those random acts of kindness actually do help people. Sometimes it changes the experience of someone who is hurting for a moment. Sometimes it puts them on a new trajectory and gets them thinking about a new job. Are, there are people who are being nice everywhere, but that's not what we're talking about. And the reason why is because if we are truly conduits of God's grace, if it's not us that is doing the blessing, but God that is doing the blessing through us, then the biggest blessing that people experience is not the specific action that we do. The biggest blessing is not the text message that we send or the phone call that we make or the conversation that we have or the lunch that we paid for. That's not the biggest blessing. The biggest blessing is that God works through that in order to draw people to himself. And so the way that God blesses people is not by having you buy their lunch, but by working through you buying their lunch to offer himself to them in loving relationship. It's all about drawing people to God. Because although we can do kind things to make a person's day better, only God can heal their hearts and save their souls. Now I want you to notice, man, I like this sermon. You guys all right? You with me? Yeah. So notice how everything that we've just talked about regarding the work of prayer happens in us. Everything we just talked about, it's God's work in us and it is for others. Just let that sink in. Because I know from experience that sometimes I get upset with Emma and I pray that God change her or I get upset with someone in the church and say, God, change them. Or God, let them find another church. They're a thorn in my side, right? I mean, just gonna be honest with you. I mean, sometimes we focus our prayers on other people, but it's important to note that everything that we just talked about in terms of what God does through prayer happens in us and it is for the benefit of other people, which helps us to understand perhaps the most important thing that Jesus ever said, which is if you try to save your life by focusing on yourself, you will lose it. 
But if you are willing to lose your life in service to others, you will gain it. And it is prayer that leads us to this discovery, which is the secret to a happy and meaningful life. People say, what's the meaning of life? Well, give up your life in service to others and you'll find the meaning of life. And then people say, just like, just like when Jesus said to the guy, go sell everything that you have and come and follow me, when, we, when, when pastors tell most people, if you want a happy life, you gotta go serve other people, like that guy, they say, I'm good, and they walk away. And then they come back, like five years later, what's the meaning of life? And it's like, the answer hasn't changed. It's your willingness to do what Jesus says if you want to experience it, right? Okay, I'm preaching another sermon. God uses prayer, God uses prayer so that we can bless others God uses prayer to change us so that we then become conduits of God's grace that empower us to join him in changing the world. And without prayer, none of this happens, especially since God sometimes asks us to do things that we don't want to do. Has God ever prompted you to do something and your natural response is, I don't want to do that, God. That was when God called me to ministry, I was in school to become a graphic designer and I was majoring in advertising and graphic design. I was gonna be an advertiser. And when I felt the call to ministry, the first thing I thought is, there ain't no way that I'm doing that. And all heaven laughed. <laughs> Again, it all hinges on our willingness to begin with prayer. So how do we do it? And this is how I wanna close this morning. How do we begin with prayer? Notice I didn't ask how do we pray. Right, I've already done various sermon series on that, and there are good books and podcasts and things on that topic. Um, furthermore, I've already pointed you to the ancient practice of Lexio Divina, so I, that's not my focus. What I want to focus on this morning is how to begin. Somebody say begin. <laughs> to begin with prayer. And to help you, I've provided a tool in your bulletin. So if you look in your bulletin, you should see a handout that says the art of neighboring. I want you to pull that out. It's a great tool to get you thinking about who God may be calling you to bless. And it looks like, it looks like this. So you can use this tool, okay? You can use this tool by beginning with your own neighborhood, like where you physically live. And if you look at that little handout, the center, the house in the center represents where you live and the eight empty boxes around it represent the people who live around you. And what you do is you take this, you take this little handout and you, you write the names, you write the names of those people living around you in the empty boxes. And if you don't know their names, well then you need to find out, right? Knowing your neighbors and being a good neighbor is not something that just was good in the 1950s. Like we need to be good neighbors to people, right? And so, I would encourage you to just go knock on their door and introduce yourself and say something like, hey, we're neighbors and I just wanted to take a minute to introduce myself and let me know that if you ever need help with anything, I'm available. That's it. And then hear their name and walk away and then go and write their name in one of the boxes. And um, if this suggestion makes you nervous, then you can just Google their address and pull up their housing record. <laughs> But don't get hung up on geographical location. The goal is simply to write the names of eight people that live close to you in the empty boxes. And you don't have to just use it for where you live physically. You can take this to work 
And you can, if, you're, if you have an office, you can think about the, the eight people that work closest to you in the office, and you can write their name down. Or you could take it to your basketball league and write down the names of the people on your team and your coach. Or you can go into your civic club and look at the eight people that are sitting closest to you in that luncheon or something. But once you get the names written down, the main point is for you to start praying for them every day. And if you're not already in the habit of doing this, this is going to be really challenging. It's going to be really challenging. So I want to share three things really quickly that will help. First, you need to plan. I'm sure you've heard the old saying, if you plan, if you fail to plan, then you are planning to fail. This is just a piece of wisdom that has stood the test of time. If you fail to plan, then you were planning to fail. So plan time. If this is not something you're already doing, plan time every day to pray for the people on your neighborhood map and set a reminder in your phone or put it on the calendar just like any other appointment that you might have. Is the appointment to go have a beer with your buddy after work more important than, than your decision to pray for the people in your neighborhood? But yet we'll put that appointment on the calendar. Why not put an appointment on our calendar to pray for these people by name? You have to plan. And then do it. Pray for them by name. Now, you may be thinking, well, what if I don't know them? How do I pray for someone that I don't know? Well, you can start by asking God to bless them. Isn't that simple? I don't know this person, God. I don't know what's going on in their life, but I pray that you will bless them and their family. And pray for, for God to do for them the same kinds of things that you want God to do for you and your family. Second, after you plan, prepare. As you pray... Ask God not only to bless them, but to prepare you to bless them. Ask God to help you notice them. How many of your neighbors have become invisible to you or your coworkers? You just don't see them anymore, right? Pray for God to help you see them. And not only to see them and notice them, but to begin to see them as God sees them. And ask God to make you sensitive to his prompting so that when there's a nudge to engage this person in some way, you're ready to do it. And then third, ask God to show you how to bless them, to show you their needs, to help you know when and how to offer kindness and love. In closing, I want to remind you of two things. The first is something that Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom said, and I quote, We never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answers. In other words, God intends prayer to mobilize you so that you can join him in blessing others. And if your prayer is not leading to action, Something is wrong, and we need to talk. Finally, I want you to remember that following Jesus is not meant to be comfortable. I know we got communion, and I'm not going to go on about this, but I need to tell you, friends, I think that one of the absolute worst things that has happened to Christianity in our country is that people have made it, have turned it into a tool to help them realize the American dream so that they can become comfortable, 
So if I follow Jesus and I'm a good moral person, then I'm going to be able to get a good education. I'm going to be able to meet my spouse and get married. I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have a nice house. I'm going to be retired comfortably. You know the American dream. And that Christianity becomes a tool to help us get that. And when that happens, it's no longer Christianity. Because Jesus didn't say, like we hear in Napoleon Dynamite, Come and follow me, and all your wildest dreams will come true. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. It is about dying to self, not getting our way. I'll come back to that another Sunday. <laughs> but following Jesus, the goal is not to make you comfortable. The goal is is to change your life. As Paul said, to make you a whole new creation. And anything short of that is not a worthy goal. It's just not. Christianity is not meant to give you tools to tweak the life that you've already chosen for yourself to make it better so that you can feel good and not have pain. That's not what it's about. Jesus says, I don't want to tweak your life. I want to kill your ego. I want to crucify you so that you will die in order to be raised to new life and made a brand new creation. And so, when you start praying... And God starts showing you who to bless and how to bless them. You better be ready to step out of your comfort zone. Because it won't be about you. And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel this morning. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Mark. And I want to thank you for listening today. I also want to thank First United Methodist Church of Cocoa Beach, the faith community I am honored to serve and that helps make this ministry possible. If you are being blessed by these messages, I invite you to support the mission of Jesus through the efforts of our church by making a donation. Simply go to our website, www.fumccb.com, and click on the link that says Give. I also hope that you will explore other parts of our website and connect to other ministries like online worship and Bible studies. If you feel more comfortable, you can also mail a donation to the church office at 3300 North Atlantic Avenue, Cocoa Beach, Florida, 32931. We sincerely appreciate your support as we try to help people who are struggling and need to hear good news. Again, thanks for tuning in today, and may God bless you.